Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, good evening, everybody. Go ahead and find your seats. We will uh, we'll go ahead and get started. All righty, as always, if you got your Bible and you'd like to follow along tonight, we are going to be in Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 5 through 13. Um, the title of our lesson is The Dividing Issue. Romans 10, 5 through 13. And the title of our lesson is The uh, Dividing Issue. Now tonight, we're going to be talking about three, not really three issues, but three different points or three different separate little topics. And each one will lead us to the, the next. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is why should we care about the Old Testament? Uh, over the years, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different Christians. And one of the things that I've come to realize is that a lot of people don't spend very much time at all in the Old Testament. Uh, they just don't think it's very relative uh, to them. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, modern American 21st century. So a lot of people just don't spend a lot of time in it. Um, and, if, and, and it really shouldn't be that way. Uh, there, there's a reason for the Old Testament that it's there. And so tonight we're going to talk about why we should care about the Old Testament. That will lead us to the second topic tonight, which is the dividing issue or the issue that divides. There is one issue in life that you have to make a decision on. There is no gray area. You can't straddle the fence. You're on one side or the other. And this issue divides every single human being into one or the other group. It is this issue that will determine whether God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Or God says to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, we call this the dividing issue, and we'll talk about that. Now, once we get there, that will actually lead us into our uh, passage tonight. Now, I'm going to tell you up front that our passage tonight uh, can be really confusing. Um, in fact, uh, Romans 10, uh, 6 through 7, those verses, my guess is, if you've got it open there in front of you, you can go ahead and look at them. I'm sure you've probably read those. I have in the past, and I looked at it, and I said, I have no idea what he's talking about. I have no idea what, what his point is that he's trying to, uh, to get across. So I'm going to try to explain that to you uh, here tonight. So let's, go, let's begin with the first one of those, and that is why we should care about the Old Testament. Now, we just came out of Romans chapter 9, right? And uh, last, last week, we kind of started into chapter 10. And you all should know this by now because I reiterated it uh, over and over and over again. The whole reasoning for, for Paul writing Romans 9 was the fact that Israel had failed to achieve or attain the righteousness of God. Despite being chosen by God, despite being given unparalleled privileges by God, the fact is the greater part of Israel was accursed and cut off from Christ. They had missed it. Uh, they had stumbled over the stumbling stone. They had failed to attain the righteousness of God. Now, tonight, we turn to chapter 10, and guess what? Same subject. 
when we turn to chapter 11, guess what? Same subject, okay? Paul, is, now he will talk about Gentiles, which, who are the Gentiles? That's us. He'll talk about us some, like in the end of chapter 9, he brought the Gentiles in. But you can tell very clearly that that is not his main focus. We, uh, when he talks about the Gentiles, he, talking, he talks about us in kind of a secondary manner. In these three chapters, his focus is on Israel. Now, this brings up to me a perfectly valid question. And that is, why in the world should we, here in 21st century America, why should we care about something that happened to a people group 2,500, 3,500, 4,000 years ago. What in the world do, 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 do they have to do with us? Well, here's the answer to that question. By God's design, Israel is the uh, historical theater where the drama of every human soul is played out for all to see. I want you to picture for a moment uh, uh, an amphitheater, maybe like... Um, uh, the Civic Center in Tallahassee or the Roman Colosseum. And, and, and we're all seated in that amphitheater. And down on the court or down on the field is the nation of Israel. And we're watching this drama. We're watching this play uh, be played out on the, on the pages of the Old Testament. And, and when things happen to them, it's not just a historical play. It's not just a drama. It's not there just for interest. When Israel fails, that's our failure. When Israel is judged, that's us being judged. See, what's going on down there is for our lesson, for our instruction. We should see ourselves in what happens to them. Now, you may say to me, where in the world do you get that from? Well, look at Romans 3.19. Paul says this, Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. By the way, that's the Jews, right? That's Israel. Now, watch what he says. So that, say it with me, Every mouth may be stopped and the whole world can become accountable to God. You see, God is dealing with Israel, but he's not dealing with Israel just for their own sake. He's dealing with them for our sake. He's not just making things plain to them. He's making things plain to the whole world. He's not just stopping their mouth and making them accountable. He's making sure that every mouth is stopped. So when you see something in Israel, there's something there for you. It's about us. It's not just about them. Now, you may see that and say, yeah, okay, I, I buy that. I see it, but come on. I have absolutely nothing in common with people that lived 3,000 years ago. Well, it turns out that's not true at all. We have a lot in common. In fact, I'm going to give you four things tonight. Here's the first one. Jews and Gentiles have both been given God's law, okay? Now, they have been given the external law, right? It's actually written down, and Moses wrote it all down. So they have this Old Testament. They have the old law. Theirs is external, where you can see it and read it. Ours, the, the Gentiles, the Bible says, is written on our heart. Look at Romans 2.15. It says, They, the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience bears witness. So... What's right and what's wrong is actually written down for the Jews. But what's right and what's wrong is actually written on our hearts. And, 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 and our conscience bears witness. So they have a form of God's law that's written down. Ours is internal. Let me show you what I mean by this. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, gave this example a long time ago. It made a lot of sense to me. 
evolution teaches us that we have this instinct inside of us called uh, survival instinct, right? It says that we're born with this, survival of the fittest, right? That's what, it, that's what we've been taught from the time we're little, that that's just a, an instinct that's born in you. Okay, so a man is walking along a riverbank, and he hears a cry for help, and he looks out, and in that river is somebody drowning. Now, your survival instinct says, don't go in there because you're going to die, right? If that's all you have is a survival instinct, you would never help that person. But there's something else inside of you. And that something else inside of you says, go help. And in fact, the majority of the time, that will actually override your survival instinct. And in fact, if it doesn't and you don't go in, we'll call you a coward. We'll say you did the wrong thing. Now tell me, where does that thing come from that says go in there and risk your own life? That's not a survival instinct. That's the law of God. See, that's what God has put in our heart, these things you can't explain. That's the law of God. That's right. Even though it puts your very uh, existence in peril, it still says go do the right thing. Listen, that's the law of God. See, Israel has this. It's external. It's written down. But ours is on the Inside, theirs is visible, ours is invisible. Now, here's the second thing we have in common. We've all been given this law, and every single one of us fail to keep it. Romans 3, 9, Paul says, Then what then? Are the Jews, are we Jews any better off? In other words, are Jews better off because they've got the law written down? Paul says, no, not at all. Why? Because we've all failed to keep it. We're all under sin. You see, failure to keep the law of God, whether it's written down or whether it's in your heart, the Bible calls that sin. And every single one of us have done that. Now, by the way, Israel's sin may be clearer. We may open the Old Testament and we may look at uh, men like Aaron making the golden calf. We may look at David with Bathsheba. We may look at, at Solomon and his wives. We may look at all that and say, how could you do that? What is your problem? See, their sin is out there for everybody to see. Ours, it's hidden. It's not quite as visible. But let me tell you, it's just as real and it's just as serious. So we've all been given the law. We all fail to keep the law. The third thing we have in common is that our failure condemns us. Listen, when you open the Old Testament and you see Israel being judged by God, listen, you need to take careful note because that is what you're seeing there is a preview of what's coming to every man who's going to have to stand before a holy God. So we, we need to take note of that. Here's the fourth thing that we have in common. And that is the remedy for our condemnation is the same. We've all been given the law. We all fail to keep the law. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all do, don't do the things we should do. We all sin. We all fail. We're all condemned. And the remedy for us all is exactly the same. And by the way, it is not better law keeping. It is not better law-keeping. God doesn't come up beside you and say, Son, I know you messed it up, but you can do better. No, you can't do better. The remedy is not better law-keeping. The remedy is faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that remedy Paul wants us to see is for everybody. In fact, our, our last verses tonight in our passage, Paul goes to the extreme to make this clear. For the Scripture says... Romans 10, 11 through 13, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. So the remedies for everybody, Jew, Gentile, black, white, green, red, man, woman, doesn't matter. This remedy is everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, this is why the early church never gave up the Old Testament. You know, if you go back and think about it, Jesus comes and he fulfills the Old Testament, right? He, 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 he's what the Old Testament was all about. And now here he is. It would have been so easy for the early church to say, you know what? We don't need the Old Testament anymore. That's the Hebrew Bible. We're going we're gonna to create this new Bible called the Christian Bible. But they didn't do that. Because, see, they understood that the whole Old Testament, the whole history, if you will, of Israel and its failures is leading not only them to Jesus Christ, it's leading us to Jesus Christ as well. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happen to them as an example, but they're written down for our instruction. They're written down so that we can learn from and that we don't make the same mistakes that they did. So I want you to think about what, for a moment, just about what God has done. God has, this is an amazing thing. I mentioned this in my sermon a couple weeks ago. God has intervened in history for 4,000 years with these people called the Jews. And today, today, right now, whatever this date is, I know it's sometime in, I was going to say sometime in August, already September, ain't it? Um, this, whatever date this is in 2021, there's only one nation in the entire world in history that the people have the same name, they speak the same language, they live in the same land, and they worship the same God. You think that's a coincidence? You need evidence that that Bible is real? You need evidence that our God, look at that. He, he's intervened. He has protected them. He has guarded them as a, as a message to the world, as a, as, a, as a drama to be played out in front of the world. Why? So that the whole world might not just see them, but we might understand ourselves and our relation to God. God has intervened with one people for the sake of all peoples. Now, this brings us to our second point tonight. And that is the issue that divides or the dividing issue. Now, Paul has told us twice already, once in chapter 9 and, and once already in chapter 10, why the Jews have failed to attain the righteousness of God. In chapter 9, he says this. He said the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness, they've attained it. A righteousness that's by faith. But Israel didn't succeed. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but they pursued righteousness as if it were based on works. And then last week in Romans 10, 3 and 4, he said this, seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Listen, that I was reading that this afternoon. I didn't have time to go back and, and add some more stuff to it. But I want to show you something here that that is just an incredible truth. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Listen, every human being does those two things. Every human being thinks they're better than they are, and they don't think God is as holy as he is. Let me go back and show you that. Seeking to establish their own righteousness. I'm a good person. I, I know I, I'm, I, I'm not perfect, but I'm good. I'm better than that guy for sure. They seek to establish their own, and they don't submit to God's righteousness. They don't see God as holy as He is. Well, 
He knows I'm just dirt. He'll let me in. He, he, as long as I'm sincere, that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. We're going to see that here tonight. That's the, two, that's the problem the Jews have, and by the way, that's the problem that pretty much every Gentile has. We think we're better than we are, and we think God is not as good as He says that He is. See, this is the dividing issue. Listen to me. Whose righteousness are you going to count on? Whose righteousness are you counting on? Your own or God's? Everybody is on one side of the line or the other. You can't straddle the line. There is no gray area. You don't get out of this without making a decision, without making commitment. Everyone is going to stand before God. And you've either got to go in with your own righteousness or you've got to go in with God's righteousness. That is the dividing issue. That one thing will determine whether you spend an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. That one thing will determine whether God says, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. That one thing determines whether you're a sheep or whether you're a goat. Whose righteousness are you going to depend on? Now, tonight's passage, Romans 10, 5 through 13, is dealing with this issue. It's all about this dividing issue. In fact, right there in verses 5 and 6, and again, if you're following along, you can read it with me. You'll notice Paul says it right there. In verse 5, he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. There's one side of it. But the righteousness based on faith says there's the other. Everybody with me? There's the two of them. This is what Paul is dealing with in these verses here tonight. Now, this brings us to our passage. As I said, this can be a very confusing passage. Now, I have read it, and I've reread it, and I've studied, and I've restudied, and I've read. I'm not, even now, I'm not sure I've got it down 100%. Okay, but I'll do the very best I, I can. Now, let's start out from a, 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 a very high level, right? I've already told you this passage is about two things. It's about the dividing issue. The righteousness by works, or a righteousness by faith. Now, here's the thing that's going to help us understand this passage. Paul's complete argument in these verses is based on the Old Testament, okay? If you've got a Bible and you don't have study notes and you just read this verse, I'm sure you would look at or these verses and you'd say, I got no idea what he's saying. <laughs> but if you've got a study Bible, it may point you and say, oh, he's referring back to the Old Testament. And that might help you and it's going to really help us tonight, okay, to know that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these verses. Everywhere you see that little yellow star thing, that, that is where he's referring to the Old Testament, okay? So I'm going to read it, and you can just notice where those little stars are. That's where he's referring to the Old Testament. So let's read it. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if you were counting up those little yellow stars, you'll notice there were six of them. 
So just in these verses from uh, uh, 5 through 13, these eight or nine verses, he's references six times back to the Old uh, Testament. Okay? So what I want to do right here is I want to kind of start from a 30... Did, that, did anybody find these confusing about going up into heaven and getting Christ and going in the abyss? And That's a little bit confusing, right? By the way, the meaning of this passage is crystal clear. It's not hard to understand. I'm just, what's hard to understand is why does he do it the way he does it? He just uses a really odd uh, uh, methodology, if you will. So what I want to do is I want to start from 30,000 foot view. And I want to kind of go through it and look at the scriptures. And then we'll come back and go, um, uh, I'll show you where he's referencing Old Testament. Then we'll come back and look at those. So first of all, in first, verse 5, he says this, the area in the blue. He says, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. That the, one, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. He is in that area right there. He is referencing Leviticus 18.5. Okay? Drop down to verse 6. And he says, do not say in your heart. Now, he has pulled that one phrase, just that one phrase, out of Deuteronomy 9.4. And then the confusing part, he says, who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss? Those two statements right there, he's pulling out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. One of them, by the way, is a direct quote. One of them, he actually changes the words a little bit. So what we're going to find out that Paul's doing is Paul is not reaching back to the Old Testament and directly quoting. What he's doing in back is he's reaching in the Old Testament and he's bringing out a principle. And he, want, he applies that principle and this is what we're going to see, okay? So... What I want to do is I want to look at each one of those Old Testament passages individually, and I want to see the principle that Paul is drawing out. So this, the first one's easy, right? So we'll skip that one out of the way. Verse 5, Paul says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. As I said, he's quoting Leviticus 18.5, and that is pretty much a direct quote. If you go look at Leviticus 18.5, the Bible says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. He's talking about the law. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now listen, the principle here is very simple. Under the Old Testament law, if you wanted eternal life, you had to keep the law perfectly. Everybody get that? Jesus said in the New Testament, did he not be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect? If you choose righteousness by works, if you choose righteousness by the law, if that's what you're going to go with, you absolutely have to do it perfectly. Okay? Now, that is what? Impossible. That can't be done. So Paul immediately will turn over and look at the other side. But what I want you guys to see is he set up the dividing issue. He's saying, okay, if you're going to be on this side of the line... If you're going to choose righteousness based on works, if that's where your righteousness is going to come on from, you have to absolutely do it perfectly. And as I said, that's impossible, so Paul will now turn to the other side. He says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart. Now, he pulls that one phrase, just one little phrase, out of Deuteronomy 9.4. Now, I want to go back to Deuteronomy 9.4, and I want, to I want to read that so we can see the principle. I actually want to go look at verses 1 through 5. I want to read the whole thing so you can get the context. So the context here is Israel is about ready to go over into Jordan, across the Jordan and go into the promised land. Okay? I mean, they are, they are ready to go in. And this is what the Lord says. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. 
cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, and you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised. So God, over in this promised land, there are these big dudes. They're like giants, okay? And the people are pretty much scared to death of them because they, their, their renown has gone throughout the, the world. And God says, you go over there, and I'm going to go before you like a consuming fire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of them. You're going to drive them out, okay? But I'm the one that's doing it now. Here's verse 4, and here's where Paul gets his statement. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. So God says, when you get over into the Jordan... And you, across the Jordan, you get into the promised land and you defeat those giants. Don't say in your heart, don't say in your heart, look at me. Look how great we are. Look, look how righteous we are. Don't say that. In fact, he goes on and says, I'm not, I'm not driving them out because of your righteousness. I'm actually driving them out because of how wicked they are. Okay? But the principle here is this. You don't get anywhere with God because of your own righteousness. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. When God, God has saved me, God has blessed me, God has anointed me. Don't say in your heart, man, I'm, I must be something. No, that's not why he did it. Not because of your righteousness. So that's the principle there. God never is doing anything for us because of our righteousness. He's doing it because of grace. He's doing it because of mercy. So the, so the righteousness by faith never looks to ourselves. That's the principle that he's bringing out. Now, let's look at verses 6 and 7. And here's the confusing part. So stay with me and we'll get through this. He says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or don't say in your heart, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does righteousness by faith say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, as I said earlier, he is getting this from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Okay, So let's go back to Deuteronomy 30 and let's read it. God says to the people, he says this, This commandment that I give you, by the way, what he's talking about is the written law. Everybody with me? He says, this commandment that I give you, this written law that I give you today, it's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, well, who will go up to heaven and bring it down to us so that we can hear it and we can do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, well, who will go over the sea and bring this commandment over to us so that we can hear it and do it? God says, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, God gives the law to Israel so that they can know the law and obey the law. And God brings it near to them. He gives it to them through Moses. He writes it down. Nobody has to say, well, well where is this law? Do we have to go to heaven and bring it down? No. 
Well, do we have to go across the sea and bring it over so that we can hear it and do it? No. God says, I took care of all that. I took care of that. Here it is right in front of you. It's right there. It's in your mouth. You can speak it to your children. It's in your heart. You know it. You can do it. See, the Word is near them in the sense that it's written down for them. There's absolutely no human effort required. Now, here's what Paul sees. In the same way, God has brought His Son near. By the way, Jesus is the Word made flesh. In the same way in the New Testament, God has brought the Word in Jesus Christ near to us. Not so that we can obey the written law and know the written law, but so that we can obey Him and know Him. So what Paul feels perfectly comfortable doing is whenever in the Old Testament it talks about the law, he just brings that over and replaces the law with Christ. He replaces the written word with the word of faith. Now let's read it again. He says, but the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart, who will go into heaven and bring this Jesus down to us? Or, 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 or who will go into the abyss? And this is where he changes the word. Who will go to the abyss and bring this just Jesus guy up from the dead? See, the righteousness by faith doesn't say, say who will go into heaven because we believe that he's already come. See, the righteousness by faith believes that He is Emmanuel, God with us. The righteousness by faith doesn't say, where is this Jesus? We know Him. We see Him. We believe in Him. See, righteousness by faith doesn't say, hey, who's going to go down and bring this Jesus guy that lived 2,000 years ago up from the dead? Why? Because we believe He's been resurrected from the dead. We believe that He returned to us in the resurrection. We don't have to say those things. You see, what Paul wants us to see is the same principle. No human effort is necessary to attain the righteousness of God. God has done everything we need in the person of Jesus Christ. He has brought salvation near to us in the Word made flesh. Now, in verses 6 and 7, Paul has told us what righteousness by faith does not say. It doesn't say, look at me. It doesn't say, where is this Jesus fella? Or what about this guy that died? No, it doesn't say any of those things because we know he lives. We know he's been resurrected. But now he tells us what righteousness by faith does say. Look at verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Here's Paul's point. Salvation is near to me and you in a way that it never has been before. God has done everything He can possibly do. He has brought Jesus to us. Jesus has died on the cross. He's raised on the third day. All it takes now is what you can do with your heart and with your mouth. That's it. You don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go over the sea. You don't have to go in the abyss. You believe with your heart. You confess with your mouth. That's as close as it is. Listen, I don't want you tonight to get lost in the difficulties of these verses or the confusion of these verses. They are confusing. But let me tell you, the meaning is perfectly clear. And the meaning is this. You're going to die. And one day you're going to stand before a holy and righteous God. And when you do, you're going to find yourself on one side of the line or the other. Which one's it going to be? 
Which one's it going to be? Are you going to rely that I'm a good person, that I'm a righteous person, that I'm as good as anybody else? Or are you going to depend on the righteousness of God, of righteousness of Jesus Christ? Every single person makes that decision. Every single. Nobody gets to straddle the line. Nobody. There is no gray area. It's one or the other. This is the dividing issue that faces you and I, the rest of America and the whole world. Where is your righteousness going to come from on the day of judgment? Is it going to be based on works or is it going to be based on faith in Jesus Christ? Now, Paul's not done. He turns to verses 11 and 13 and he's still going to Old Testament scripture. Verse 11, it says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He is quoting, in this case, Isaiah 28, 16. Let me read that to you. This verse in the Old Testament says this, So this is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be put to shame. What are you relying on? You're relying on Jesus for what? Your righteousness. You rely on Him for your righteousness and the Bible promises you, you will never be put to shame. By the way, that's a kind of a, 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 a difficult word in Hebrew. Some of your Bibles, depending on your translation, maybe say, never be put to shame. Others may say things like not act hastily or not stricken with panic. It's a difficult Hebrew word. But basically, the whole idea here is to be delivered from judgment. The one that relies on him for their righteousness will never be put to shame. They will be delivered from judgment. Now, listen, Paul is really concerned here that we understand that this is for everybody. Again, verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. He's got one more, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here he's quoting Joel 2.32, all right? Really interesting scripture, Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord had said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Does everybody see it? Everybody see what I'm looking at? Do I have to point it out to you? You see, on one hand, you got the responsibility of man. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. On the other hand, you got the sovereignty of God. The saved shall be those who call on the name of the Lord. Or the Lord, whom the Lord calls. Everybody see that? It, it, it's always in perfect balance, Old Testament and New. That was a quick one tonight. Um, next week, we are going to turn to the next verses, which literally tells us how to be saved. And, and, and it's going to be an important message, because not only does it tell how you and I are saved, but it tells us how our family is saved, and how our colleagues are saved, and how our uh, uh, friends are going to be saved. So I encourage you, if you can come be here next, uh, next Wednesday, because you're going to really learn some things. And we'll also, ask, we'll also next week answer the question, what about the people on the island in somewhere that's never heard the gospel? What about them? And we'll answer that question um, next week. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, it is an, an incredible word. And uh, I, I don't know why sometimes it seems to be a little more difficult. Maybe uh, it's just so that we'll dig in, that we won't give up, and we'll just, we'll just drill down until we can, can understand it. But God, we know one thing from this passage here tonight. There is a dividing issue. There is a dividing issue. And that issue is whose righteousness are we going to depend on? Our own or the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ? Father, help us to get that so deep down inside of us that we just cannot get rid of it. God, help us to take that message to our family that don't know you, to our colleagues that don't know you, to our, 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 our uh, other students at our school who don't know you. God, we live in a world where everybody thinks anything's okay, and they've got to hear the truth from somebody. Help us. Give us boldness to carry that truth out to a lost and dying world. Thank you again for listening to the River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.